Please turn in your Bibles to our scripture reading, uh, which is taken from chapter 28 of the book of Acts. Acts 28, verses 17 to 31, 17 to the end of the chapter, the end of the book. And then our sermon passage this morning is Philippians 1, verses 12 to 14. Philippians 1, 12 to 14. So we get our scripture reading, Acts 28, 17 to 31. And our sermon passage, Philippians 1, 12 to 14. Brothers and sisters, as always, I remind you that you are about to sit under the reading of God's Word. These are not words of ordinary man, though certainly ordinary men were used to, to write these words down. We don't believe that the, uh, the, the men who wrote these words, that they became automatons, in a sense, like the, uh, the so-called prophet Muhammad was. Uh, he simply uh, mechanically wrote these things down. No, the words, uh, the word of God that's found in, that is in the Bible, that is the Bible, uh, human beings and their personalities sort of made their way into God's word. And so the apostle, uh, the, uh, the writer, the author of the book uh, of Acts, Luke, you get a sense of his personality here, but this is the very word of God. The same with Paul's writings. Yes, Paul's personality makes it through, but God fully employed uh, this, these men to write his word, and it is the very word of Almighty God. So give your full attention to it as it is now read. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain." And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit has, was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now turning to Philippians chapter 1. Just looking at three verses there, 12 to 14. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This ends the reading of God's most holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are thankful for the confidence that the Apostle Paul had in Jesus Christ. We are thankful, Lord, for the confidence that he had that he was right where you had put him, right where you wanted him. And so, dear Lord, he was completely content to be used as your instrument in the lives of others, even the imperial, the praetorian guard. But we pray that we would have half as much zeal as Paul to be used where you have placed us. We pray, dear Lord, that you would indeed help us to see that where we are is exactly where you want us to be. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to speak words of truth, words of life to those with whom we come in contact. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells the Corinthian church that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He said God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no human being could boast in the presence of God about what he had done for God. Paul there in 1 Corinthians 1, he's speaking of the folly of preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. Folly, he says, to those who are perishing, but the power of God to those who are being saved. Now some might conclude that what God chose to do in sovereignly ordaining for Paul to be imprisoned was a double folly. Using the preaching of the gospel by mere men to bring people into the kingdom of God was foolish enough. But having the primary evangelist of the early church end up under house arrest, chained to one of Nero's praetorian guards, was even more foolish. And that's exactly where Paul found himself as he wrote this letter to the Philippian church. Now this does not seem to be a good way to reach people with the gospel or to recruit future evangelists to proclaim the gospel. Being in jail does not seem like an effective model for church growth. And yet that's exactly what God did when he put Paul into the hands of the Roman imperial guard. And so it may seem somewhat counterintuitive to read what Paul says in these few verses. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The gospel has marched forward because of what has happened to me. I'm in chains. But the gospel is going forth. Now, no doubt his Philippian brothers and sisters had been tempted to despair when they first heard the news that Paul was imprisoned. How was he to continue on in his call to be a missionary when he's no longer free? Paul went around three missionary journeys around the Mediterranean, all over the known world at that time. He got around. He'd always made it his goal. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go beyond Rome. He wanted to go further west to Spain and beyond. But he made it to Rome. He made it to Rome. Well, St. Clair Ferguson has a helpful view of Paul's situation. 
He writes, from a human point of view, his freedom had been curbed and therefore his evangelistic mission seemed to be at an end. But in fact, as he now realized, his imprisonment was part of the divine strategy to advance the gospel by bringing it to people who otherwise would never hear it. He was imprisoned so that people who otherwise would never hear the gospel would get to hear the gospel. Ferguson goes on to write about how the Roman soldiers who were assigned to guard Paul would have had no hope of hearing the gospel other than by having a Christian missionary come into their custody. They would not have sought Paul out. The Lord sought those men out by the Apostle Paul. God sent Paul to them. Ferguson continues... How then could the good news about Christ break into the world of the Roman army? Only if Paul were to have extended periods in the company of Roman soldiers. Prison was the ideal setting for such an evangelistic outreach. And so, if imprisonment was the prerequisite for mission, a prisoner Paul would become. And then Ferguson writes this money quote. The Philippians knew. The Philippians knew. That when a Christian such as Paul places his life at the disposal of Christ, no circumstances can ever prove to be a final barrier to the advance of the gospel. Think about this for a moment. Think about what you know about the Philippian church for a moment. What you've read in the book of Acts about the Philippian church. What happened in Philippi? Who came to know Jesus Christ in Philippi? Of all the churches Paul could have been writing letters to from his Roman imprisonment, the Philippian church would have had the greatest appreciation for for what God can do inside a jail cell. Paul writes these verses, verses 12 to 14, to the Philippian church the way that you would tell a close friend news that you knew that they above all would appreciate. You've had this happen, right? Something good happens to you. You tell a person and... And the reaction that you get from them is a little less than what you were hoping, right? They don't really appreciate it. But but then you know, I know that so-and-so is going to appreciate this. You can't wait to tell them. And they they react to the news that you're telling them exactly the way you'd hoped. Exactly the way that you had knew that they would. The Philippians were these people, that, that person to Paul. He wants his brothers and sisters in Philippi to know he is thrilled. And he knows that they will be as thrilled as he is about what has happened to him. They'll be thrilled to know that his imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. Now that word advance, that's translated in the ESV, uh, the word translated advance in the ESV, it's translated furtherance in the King James and the New King James, greater progress in the New American Standard. It's a word that, quote, most likely originates from a Greek nautical term for making headway into a wind which ultimately came to indicate to make progress, to thrive. Now, some of you have been out on sailboats. Some of you are quite adept at sailing. I've been out on a sailboat once or twice in my life. I love nautical fiction, uh, Royal Navy in the 1800s and the Napoleonic Wars. I love reading about things like that. And one of the things that you learn, it's very difficult when you've got a headwind, especially if you're, uh, you're, you're, you're trapped against a landmass and the wind's blowing at you. It's very difficult to tack against that headwind and get away from the coast to get to safety. And that's kind of the, the idea behind this word that's translated advance in the ESV. It ultimately came... Uh, known to, 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 be, to make progress, to thrive. 
And so perhaps, perhaps because of its nautical origin, origins, it began to be used to refer to military success. And so Paul, he may very well be saying that the gospel is making an, a military advance against the Roman military. The Roman military in that time was unstoppable. If you, if you ever see how the, the, the Roman Empire advanced throughout the known world, it, it's amazing how far it advanced. And what Paul is saying is that the gospel is making a counter-advance against the Roman military. Paul says as much in verses 13 and 14. As one commentator puts it, Paul is saying in those verses, the gospel is an unstoppable military advance among Caesar's elite forces. Now we don't know at what point in Paul's imprisonment in Rome that he wrote this letter to the Philippians. But reading chapter 28 of the book of Acts, you get a picture of this advance of the gospel that Paul is writing about in our passage. In that passage, he's talking about how he was trying to break into the Jewish population in Rome. After enduring many hardships on the way to Rome, when he finally got there, after three days, presumably after arrest, we read in Acts chapter 28, verse 17, that Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews to explain to him his situation to explain to them his situation. And he says in verse 20 of the passage that we read from Acts 28, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Now that chain was around him, around his waist, perhaps linked to his arm, but the end of that chain was attached to an imperial guard, a Roman Soldier, the, the elite soldiers, the Praetorian Guard. These were, these were Nero's own special forces. Paul wasn't attached to a, a, a stake driven into the ground or some sort of post. He had a human being at the other end of it. We'll get to that in a few moments. But he says he's in chains because of the hope of Israel. In verse 22, the Jews tell Paul that they desire to hear what Paul's views are. They say, for with regard to this sect, we know that everything it is, everywhere it's spoken against. They don't know about Paul. They haven't heard about his troubles, his travails. But they've heard about Christianity. And everything they've heard about it is bad. With the Jewish leaders, they set a date to come back and hear more from Paul. And when they returned, they came in even greater numbers than they'd come the first time. When they come back, we read that Paul spent from morning till evening trying to convince them from the law of Moses and the prophets, shorthand for the Hebrew Old Testament, from all of the scriptures that they possessed, he tries to teach them about Jesus. Now, now Paul was not known for his brevity. Paul could go on and on. You think I'm long-winded. But of course, Paul would have held their attention. He would have held them captive for all of that time. But for hours, morning till evening, He's teaching them. He's preaching to them. He's trying to persuade them about who Jesus is, that he is the long-awaited Messiah for which, for whom they've been, they've been looking. Verse 24 says that some were convinced by what he said. Some believed. Praise the Lord, some believed, but others disbelieved. But they all departed when Paul made this mic drop of a statement beginning in verse 25. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through, the prophet, through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. 
And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now I, I maybe saw in Dr. Uh, Dr. Beal's slides because he sent them to me a little bit earlier in the week. I might have seen that he was going to Isaiah. I didn't consciously pick this passage of this sermon today because it ties so nicely in with what he taught yesterday, but it does. Parables are intended to reveal to some and to conceal to others. Parables indicate judgment, and that's what's being talked about here. And there's some, apparently, there's some we can trust who they were shocked by what Paul said. And they came to believe. There were others who were utterly scandalized by what Paul said. And they completely rejected Paul's words here. In chapter 28, the the entire book of Acts, it ends with Luke writing in verses 30 to 31 that Paul lived there in Rome for two whole years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. To the very end, Paul never gave up on his Jewish brethren. Based on everything that his his fellow Jews had done to him, it wouldn't have been surprising to see Paul simply shake the dust off of his boots and move on, refusing ever to preach Christ to the Jews again. But that's not what he did. Here, nearing the end of his life, Paul makes sure to invite the Jews in Rome to come and hear about Jesus. And by God's grace, a few believed. But that's not where the real advance of the gospel happened. It happened among the Gentiles, among the pagans, among those who were not God's people, but who became God's people. To everyone who came to him during his two-year imprisonment, Paul preached Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. And as he tells the Philippians in our passage, the gospel advanced. It went out, it did not return void, it didn't return empty, it bore fruit. Now, back to our sermon passage. Paul says in verse 13, It has become known throughout the the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. As surprising as this might have been to some of those who heard Paul's letter read to them at church on a Sunday morning in Philippi, there was at least one man in his family who knew exactly what happens when earthly powers try to constrain, try to contain the gospel. The Philippian jailer. What happened with the Philippian jailer? Paul was imprisoned. He was there in the prison. An earthquake happened of some sort. The prison gates opened, the doors opened. They should have, they could have fled. They did not flee. The Philippian jailer shows up. He is ready to take his own life because he knows that his prisoners are gone. And what does he find? They're sitting in their jail cells, the doors wide open, and they're singing. And they're praising the Lord. And the Philippian jailer comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He believes. He, above all else, all the other people are hearing this letter read. He probably wants to take the letter and read it with his own eyes. He knows the power of the gospel in a prison setting. One commentator writes, this is all quite ironic. The forces of the empire have taken captive and seemingly shut down the one, Paul, who dares to inspire revolt through proclaiming a Roman crucified Jewish revolutionary pretender. While he is shut down, the gospel cannot be. 
That's what Paul means when he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.9 that he is suffering, bound in chains because he preached the gospel, but the word of God is not bound. And what Paul is telling the Philippians is proof of that. The imperial guard or the praetorian guard is made up, it was made up of roughly 10,000 soldiers comprising Caesar's elite guard. Now Caesar at that time was Nero. Probably the most dangerous uh, emperor of the Roman Empire toward Christians. Paul says that it became known throughout the entire imperial guard why he was imprisoned. Now, Paul might have been speaking hyperbolically here. He, he might have been using exaggeration here. But Paul likes honesty. Paul, in most of his, if not all of his interactions, his discourse with others, he is very straightforward. He's blunt. He doesn't seem to use exaggeration or hyperbole to, to make points the way that, that we so often do in our day and age. But how could it happen that 10,000 Roman soldiers could have heard the reason why he was imprisoned? How is that possible? To our minds, it might, have been, it might as well have said a million or five billion had heard the gospel. But one commentator lays out a fairly reasonable explanation for how it could happen. Now, it's possible. Bear with me here. This is, this is math. I'm not good at it. Some of you are very good at it. You can figure this out. Probably help me out with it. But it's possible that Paul was chained to a member of the Imperial Guard for either three or four or six hour shifts per day. 24 hours a day around the clock. After two years, that's 730 days, broken up into either three, four, or six-hour shifts. That's a total of 17,520 hours. Now, even if all of the guards were with Paul for the six-hour shifts, that could potentially put him in contact with nearly 3,000 guards, assuming a new guard for every shift. That probably is not what happened. They probably had people who were repeatedly on duty over the course of, of a period of time. But it would be double that number if they were all three-hour shifts that they were on duty with Paul. Like we said, he probably had the same guard more than once, but he still would have sat with many different guards over the course of two years. And imagine the stories that Paul would have told these military men. He would have told them about his, given them his accounts of missionary journeys. He would have talked to them about his shipwrecks, about him being shipwrecked on the island of Malta, being bitten by a snake there. He's being, being near death on multiple occasions. And these stories, because military men love stories like this, it would have made its way through the whole Imperial Guard, whether or not they actually had sat with Paul for a time, for a, a spell of three hours or so. And so... It's safe to assume that some of the soldiers hearing these stories second or perhaps third hand, they would have wanted to go for themselves to hear uh, with their own ears what Paul had to say. So at least a thousand or two of the Praetorian guards sat with Paul for a minimum of three hours. That's not unreasonable to think could have happened during that time. And Paul would not have been one to waste those three hours. Now, he had to sleep sometime. But I bet Paul was willing to give up some of his sleep if it meant that he could share the gospel with a guard that he hadn't met before. Paul, just as he wasted no time upon his arrival at Rome and contacting the, lo the local Jewish leaders and inviting them over so that he could tell them about the Jesus for whom he was imprisoned, would have wasted no minute, much less an hour, of talking about the Lord to the guards. 
And so what Paul is saying in verse 13 is that the reason for his imprisonment uh, has spread to the 10,000 or so members of Caesar's elite imperial guard. He maybe didn't talk to every single one of them personally, but word has gotten out. His stories would have been vibrant and interesting. They would have captivated the imaginations of these men. They thrived. They didn't have phones to pull out and entertain themselves with, with games on their phone, solitaire, Minecraft, anything like that. They loved stories. And Paul was a consummate storyteller, but his stories always ended up with Jesus. His stories always served the purpose of talking about Jesus. And not all would have believed, but it's reasonable to expect that some of them did. Some lives of the Imperial Guard were changed forever by what they heard from the mouth of a prisoner. And because of what has happened to the Imperial Guard as a result of Paul's proclaiming the good news to its members, Paul says in verse 14 that most of the brothers, members of the Imperial Guard who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So not only has Paul been afforded a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to preach the gospel to a group of men who by nature and military environment would have been very hostile to it and isolated from it, but now the successes that the Holy Spirit has brought has emboldened others to do the same. Now most people do not go out seeking to become martyrs. Most of us do not want to make martyrs of ourselves. Most people avoid hardship and pain. And so when you see one of your brothers thrown into prison because of his proclamation of Christ, the natural tendency would be to to shrink back from it, to pull back, to to sort of go go low for a a while. Not to call attention to yourself. Not to do what Paul has done, thereby avoiding his predicament. And perhaps that had been the case for some of the brothers of whom Paul speaks in verse 14. But most of them now, seeing how God has used Paul in his imprisonment to bring the gospel to pagan soldiers, have become confident that the Lord can use them too. That's part of the reason that Paul is writing the Philippians, to, to further embolden them to do what Paul is doing. Paul understands that he has been put there by God for the purpose of preaching to these lost soldiers. That's what he says just a few verses few verses down in chapter uh, chapter 1 verse 16 he says the latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel Paul ordained God ordained for Paul to be put in that place at that time for the purpose of bringing at least some of the imperial guard to faith in Jesus Christ all of the hardships all of the shipwrecks All the beatings, the starvation, all of this served God's purpose of bringing Paul to these soldiers in Rome so that they could come in contact with the good news. So the next time someone tries to throw up in your face, when you talk about election and God's salvation, and they say, well, what about the person on the desert island who never has a chance to hear the gospel? You can tell them, if God can send Paul to the Roman imperial guard who in effect were on an island by themselves. If he can reach them with the gospel, I'm sure he can reach somebody on a desert island with the gospel. If they are his elect, he will go after them and bring them home. That's exactly what he said he would do. Jesus said he would do, going after the one, leaving the 99 behind to bring them home. 
Paul understood this. He was not brought forcibly to Rome against his will. His will had become so subordinated to God's will that he shared God's will, whatever that may be. Paul wanted what God wanted, which is exactly how we are to be as well. And so Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. God will not fail to bring every single one of his elect unto saving faith. Not one who belongs to him will be lost. Not one. The God we love because he first loved us is the God who was unwilling to spare even his only begotten son but offered him up for the sake of his elect. You can trust that God will do what it takes to spare those whom he loves from eternal punishment in hell. He will ensure that those who need to hear the gospel will hear the gospel so that the full number of those who belong to him will be brought home. Left to ourselves, none of us would choose Christ so God does not leave us to ourselves. He didn't leave those few Jewish people who came to meet with Paul and who came to believe in Jesus Christ. He did not leave them to themselves. He didn't leave the imperial guard to themselves. Those men who came to believe in Jesus Christ because of the ministry, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And he won't leave us to ourselves either. He will ensure that his elect hear the good news. Even if that means that the bringer of the good news has to suffer in the process of bringing it. That's how much, brothers and sisters, God loves lost sinners among whom you and I once belonged. But God saw fit to ensure that the gospel is proclaimed to you and me so that we would hear and hearing that we would believe and believing that we would have eternal life with him. That is the gospel. That is good news. That is what is advancing. And no one and no thing can stop it. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are thankful that the gospel continues to advance. We know, dear Lord, that great forces in this world are arrayed against it. So that if it were possible, it would be hindered. But we are grateful that the advance of the gospel is unstoppable because you are driving it forth. It is by your power that the gospel is proclaimed. And through your supernatural work, sinners who hate you come to faith in you through its proclamation. Lord, we pray for the advance of the gospel around the world and in this land. We pray, dear Lord, that your church would not lose her focus, that we would faithfully preach Christ and Him crucified, that we would proclaim that He is raised from the dead, And that there is no other name by which men can be saved. We pray, dear Lord, that your spirit would send us forth without fear. 
And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.